really good. I mean, I'm. It's really good. It's really valuable. And. Welcome to Dateline New Haven on WNHHFM, New Haven's home for community radio. I'm Paul Bass, inviting you to look behind the headlines on the stories that make New Haven tick. Well, today you're going to have the pleasure of re-meeting three people who are about to make New Haven tick in a new way. Three newly elected members of Border Alders bringing a lot of new energy and of excitement to the city's legislative body. Newly elected Alders Caroline Smith of Ward 9, Kiana Flores of Ward 1, and Frank Redente of Ward 15. They're all here with a little post-election wrap-up. Thanks so much for coming in, crew. It's great to see you all. Excited to be here. Thanks for having us. And congratulations on winning. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Thank you. I think it's a big deal to be an Alder. You got thousands of people you're going to represent in this, it, you know, it's sort of the most high-touch level of government. And uh, how do you feel about it? How do you feel, Kiana? Are you excited? Are you 20 years old? How do you feel about all this? Yeah, it's really exciting. Um, <laughs> it feels a, a little silly uh, when like everyone congratulates me about winning when I, I did run unopposed, so I kind of had it in the bag when I was the first one to vote for myself in Ward <laughs> That's right. One you kind of like knew you had it because you were going to show up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But if you exactly. had a cold and you overslept. Right. You... <laughs> Who knows what, have happened, what would have happened. <laughs> but you did still have to get involved in Ward politics. I think you were yeah. a Ward coach here, right? Yes, you've been I was a co-chair in, under Alex, yeah. And since high school co-op, you've been involved in activism. And how did it come about that you were the one chosen by the ward committee to be the alder? Yeah, I think it, w- it was a pretty natural progression. So my freshman year at Yale, um, I actually worked on Eli Sabin's election campaign for Ward 7 my first semester. And so that was kind of my my main introduction into local campaigns in New Haven. And then uh, working under Alex as his co-chair, got to see a little bit more about how the board the operated. Alder, yes, the current Ward 1 alder. Um, and then this summer, you know, Alex let me know that he did not want to seek re-election for, for another term. And so it felt kind of natural with the experiences that I had growing up in New Haven and the political experience I was able to get um, at Yale and also studying New Haven to a greater capacity at Yale as well, uh, that you know, this is a role that I believe I could take on and kind of felt appropriate for the timing of me being a junior and then being able to serve out my two terms and then graduate and uh, see where I feel about uh Everything post I remember Ward 1 is largely Yale. Yes. Do you have any not Yale in the ward? Yeah, there are a couple of residential buildings. The two main ones are the Eli and the Sabin, right, like off of um, the, the Eli green. and the... The Eli and the Sabin. There are two, like, residential Eli buildings. Eli Sabin? No, no, no. The Oh, sorry. The Eli and the Union. <laughs> oh, oh yeah, my yeah, God. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. <laughs> yes. Good catch. Good catch. <laughs> I remember um, when Michael Moran was over one Alder, he then moved to an... He got to live somewhere else so he could still be older another term. But, you know, it's often been called the Yale Alder. Yeah. And, you know, in a city with this town gown relations, I found there's always been a lot of respect for that Yale Alder. I've always seen the Alders who in that role are these people who come in so humbly. You know, Yale has a reputation of being know-it-all and pushing mm-hmm. people around. I'm thinking back, you know, even down to Katie Kenny and uh, Michael Morand and uh, Janet Stearns and uh, Stephen Pryor, who became a state commissioner mm-hmm. of education and, and a leader in Newark and a city... All these people seem to find those two years and learn a lot, but something's changed now, which is that the, Marvin Krizlov became the president of Oberlin College, and they all kind of come in and they learn. I think what's humbling is they learn how the city works, and it's a little different from what they learn in their books. And they, sometimes Yale has a very look down your nose and attitude at, at people in New Haven. You realize you're with these smart, dedicated people from different walk of life, and you're working with them. I always thought they all learned so much from it. 
And what's changed is that it was always students who came to Yale from somewhere else. But now you're the second older who grew up in here. Not only grew up in New Haven, grew up in Fairhaven to an immigrant family. Mm-hmm. How do you think that changes the perspective of what that role is? You're now bringing a lifetime of New Haven experience about one of our most pressing issues and knowing one of our key neighborhoods in a way that the Yale older didn't used to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's it's really exciting to be able to both represent uh, where I am now, which is the Yale area and, you know, spending a lot of time with that community, but then also coming from a background uh, from Fairhaven, because I do think that it's informed a lot of uh, what I'm passionate about now. Uh, So, you know, when I grew up in New Haven or in Fairhaven, it didn't really stick out to me as obvious, like how much local policy actually influenced mm-hmm. my life and how much the local community in Fairhaven, I'm sure you know, like the the community in Fairhaven is so vibrant and so willing to work with each other. And a lot of it is uh, immigrants and a lot of my family that's still there um, are all immigrants from Honduras. And so um, it's kind of just a little, a little space of uh, community, especially that I think was so beneficial for my family who uh, like my parents don't speak English, but they can go, they could go to like the sea town or go to the family owned businesses on grand and really feel at home in New Haven. And uh, with the local policy part, um, I was able to take a class with John DeStefano, uh, the former mayor at Yale. Uh, He has like a great policy class on New Haven. And when we talked about the immigration uh, policies in New Haven, it was just insane to see how much change occurred under his leadership uh, with immigration reform. So, for example, like the rules that they changed within like the New Haven Police Department to a police immigration or to change the laws of policing in New Haven to better accommodate uh, well, the undocumented biggest issue there immigrants. was that the immigrants were being routinely robbed when they got right. paid at the end of the day. And they were afraid to go to the police because the police would ask about the immigration status. They felt they'd be turned over. Right. And exactly. they changed the policy they had in order not to. The other thing, you were six years old, I'm guessing, when the, he did the ID card yeah, the, so that the, um, people could open card. bank accounts and stuff. Mm-hmm. Do you remember that at all from six years I, old? I don't remember it from being six years old, but what's crazy is that in that class, we watched like a video that I think was from the independent about like when um, everyone was lined up outside of city hall to get the resident city great. card. Yeah. And we watched the video and then I saw my uncle and I was oh, like, yeah? uh, <laughs> that is insane that like he was one of the first people to like get his picture taken. Um, so it was a really nice moment in that class to really see like in my face the impact that those local policies had um, on my life and my family's it's life. It's so wonderful how you lived here. You got involved in activism, a high school student with the climate movement. And then you're kind of studying at Yale, political science. You get to bring that all together now in the real world is an alder. And we're talking to three newly elected orders revved up for January 1st, Caroline Smith, Keanu Flores, and Frank Redente here on Dateline New Haven. So, Frank, you grew up in Fairhaven. Yes. And, uh, and what made you at this point, you're a little older than the others here, right? What made you at this <laughs> point, you've done a lot of community work. Right now you're a violence in, in, uh, intervention specialist, which means you like try to stop kids from having beefs that turn into something worse, right? Yeah, so I, I started working at uh, Fairhaven School uh, in 1995 when a lot of my friends were going away to prison or uh, I had lost a lot to gun violence. Um, I got lucky. I got a job as a part-time security guard at Fairhaven School, where I currently work now. Um, and, you know, I've always been... I've, lived in Fairhaven my whole life and I've just always cared about it. Um, I don't ever see myself leaving Fairhaven. Um, I got into the violence intervention work two years ago uh, when Leonard Jihad approached me about a job. Part of it is canvassing uh, around um, recent sites of violence. Um, And I met great people in the process and uh, got inspired 
to even to just take a look at you know what it would entail for me to be an alder in addition to the two things that I already do and um I mean here I am today I'm inspired by people like Caroline and Sarah Miller Why did you uh, want to be an alder Fairhaven is in desperate need of change um you know I am the great grandson of immigrants it's um always been the landing spot for immigrants I work at a school that's predominantly immigrant families and um you know, uh, not every one so of your them. your grandparents are immigrants? Yeah, from Italy. My father's. Southern my father's or grandparents. What's that? Southern or northern? Uh, southern. So, um, you know, a lot of the people that I ran to represent can't vote. You know, um, a lot of people come here from other countries looking for a better life, and I just felt they weren't getting it in Fairhaven. It was a false promise. So what's the change that needs to happen in Fairhaven? Accountability. Definitely. I think everything, well, I think just we, we've lost sight of holding people accountable for actions. Um, like more specifically police officers, school well, officials, everybody, everybody's included in that, in that statement, um, from top to bottom. Um, you know, I look at it like I look at the kids in the school, you know, um, if you let somebody get away with something too many times, they're going to continue to do it, even if it's not the right thing to do. So what are people getting away with in Fairhaven? Well, we have a lot of open-air drug markets right now, open-air drug use, um, public drinking in some of our parks, um, just a complete lack of resources. There's been no major um, investment in infrastructure in Fairhaven in over 25 years. What kind of infrastructure? Bridge repairs? Um, I mean, again, all bike included. Lanes. I have, there are sidewalks in my ward that have not been touched in my lifetime. I'm 40, just turned 49 this past weekend. Um, the I, I'll use the site of um, Oyomales Tacos right now at the corner of Lombard and Ferry. I tell people all the time that used to be Dairy Queen, and it was somewhere we that. walked as kids on an almost daily basis. And those those are the same asphalt sidewalks that were there when I was a child, and that's not okay by me. And rather than sitting on the sidelines and complaining, I decided to do something. And this was the only thing I could do. That's interesting. And Caroline Smith, like the other two here, you have already a long record like the years feel like many years all the mm. work you do in the community everything from you know working for c-click fix to starting collab and helping all these people start entrepreneurial projects to sort of i would say you're one of those unofficial people who bring people together because you know people and they trust you mm. and uh and now what made you decide to be going and you also ran a community management team mm -hmm. very well in, in downtown new haven and was just great had that experience. she's a superstar she is bringing people who kind of normally aren't in the same room together and all that good mm. stuff what mm -hmm. made you think that being an alder would help you accomplish some of those goals you care about? Yeah, I think that's, that's a really interesting question, Paul. I mean, I think, I think one theme I hear in all of us and hearing both your stories is one of love. And, you know, I feel like I was really taken in by New Haven. Like New Haven took me under its wing. Maybe this resonates with you. When too, you came to Yale, yeah. Yeah, I came I here. I fell in love with it even before I arrived. Look, I was looking at it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I saw to who's playing the toads in the neighborhoods and was just great. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, my mom immigrated to the United States from Korea. My dad grew up in North Carolina. His uh, parents immigrated here from the UK, and then they landed in Kentucky. And and then I came here to New Haven, and I completely fell in love with the city really quickly. It, I had that feeling of feeling a part of something bigger than myself really, really, really fast. You know how it feels. We all know how it feels. Um, and I also saw people really fighting for the city. I think that's what really drew me. I saw high school, high school students filling the streets around climate justice. Um, I saw individuals holding, holding institutions uh, accountable to you know, their highest expectations. And so as a 17-year-old, 
I was like, this is a city that's really fighting for itself. I want to be a part of that fight. And I think there are so many different pathways to fight. And I've explored a lot of those things like, you know, I see collab or building New Haven Bike Month as looking at the gaps in our social safety net and filling gaps in that infrastructure. And I think, you know, running for Alder and being a part of civic life in that way is another path to being able to especially think on a systems level to be able to create change. And I'm excited to see, hey, am I good at this? You know, um, I have no doubt. You're good. Daniel Hunt <laughs> says, Frankie and Caroline are two great people, especially Frank. No offense to Caroline. I, I'll tell you what, though. I'll tell you what, though. I agree with that. That Daniel Hunt, though, he's something else. Yeah. I mean, I've he watched him grow up since a little kid. I'm, I have his cousin's name tattooed on my arm. We talk about Quelly a lot. I remember and, when Quelly was killed. Yeah, that's Daniel was his yeah. cousin, and, and he meant a lot to Daniel. And I think, you know, I don't want to speak for him, but I think it motivated his activis mm. activism yeah. a little bit because... A lot of people were affected by the loss of Markwell Banks. Mm. Yeah, I remember that. And Daniel case. recently won an award, so yeah. congratulations. Yeah, Daniel. he's he's amazing. He's another superstar. Yeah. Yeah. So Caroline, so what being an so how does the Alder fit into that? How yeah. do you feel that Alder is going to help you accomplish uh, yeah. bringing progress to the community? Totally. So you know, my professional background, as you mentioned, is me and another woman, Margaret, co-founded a local organization here called Collab that supports local entrepreneurs. It's really a belief in community-led growth and development. And something I notice over and over again is certainly some of the things that Collab provides are really beneficial. Things like one-on-one -on -one coaching, a little bit of financial support, helping to build a network around them. But also some of the things that we're saying in the way of local entrepreneurs, but also more broadly residents were things like, hey, do I have access to affordable housing? Do I feel safe in my neighborhood? Do I have a horizon line of where I imagine myself going for myself? And I think a lot of those things really intersect with policy. How do we build really safe and affordable, walkable neighborhoods in the city? How do we, you know, create a lot of abundant economic opportunity for residents here? And I think there's just so much possibility in the role in as a legislator to really think really creatively, especially with a great team, especially with a really, really great team to think about that. And who is well your said. team? Is this the team? Is Unite Here the team? Who's the team on the board of Alders? Or I the think team you're going to be part of? My sense, well, what I'm curious about, I'm curious how this resonates with you all, is that, you know, we, you know, New Haven is both a city with so much opportunity, but also really significant challenges. And it, it, it truly takes, I think it'll take, I think it'll take all, all 30 of us yeah, to agree. really fight for that. I mean, I agree with that. I mean, we've also have our own little team Fairhaven that's already been, that hit the ground running months and months ago, um, working on little community projects. Um, you know, I've built my career on being a team player. I really don't like to be out in the forefront. Um, I like to depend on people who are a little wiser and more skilled than me in other areas. Um, my favorite quote is a Mother Teresa quote. It's tattooed on my bicep. I alone cannot change the world. I can only cast a stone across the water to create many ripples. And it's why How I live my life. How many tattoos do you life. have? You've kind of described already like half your body. Quite a lot. It's, <laughs> I, 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 so I was a single dad for 25 years. I didn't have a lot of money to spend on myself. So when my son went away to school, I, it was once, you know, it's my life story is tattooed on my body. Interesting. So Keanu, we've talked about why someone thought being an alder could help you accomplish. You, um, you know, you work the climate justice movement. You've been mm -hmm. studying policy, seeing your own family reflected in the story of New Haven on immigration. Why Alder? You watched the campaign. What did you learn from those campaigns? And what has made you think that being an Alder could help you make a difference? I <laughs> What I took the most from working on Eli Sabin's campaign and then working uh, <coughs> under Alex Gaznay is 
just like how in touch you can get with the community. And I think that even though I am a New Havener Yaley, um, I think all Yaleys at some point experience like this feeling of just being trapped in the bubble because even though New Haven and Yale are so intermixed and there's, you know, when you walk the streets, you're walking not just at Yale, but in New Haven. When I was I an undergraduate and I lived on House Street, my friends didn't know where House Street was. Yeah, exactly. Your senior year, two blocks. I, and it's like two minutes away. Like, it's like right behind uh, And it, You know, it even College. goes back like 80 years. John Hersey wrote a novel about a Yale student. It was called Too Far to Walk. And that feeling of going more than two blocks yeah, it's too like far to walk. And your world gets so you, you know you come here supposed to be have your world opened coming to our world class university, and yet it's despite being physically in the middle of everything, the world really is shrunken there. Yeah, and I think it's a really common phenomenon, <clears throat> like to just kind of get feel stuck when you're like your head is so far down like a book, or you're just like worrying about the next exam that you kind of lose the sense of kind of community that maybe you had back home. And I think that's, I started to kind of feel that my first few years of just like, whoa, like I feel kind of stuck even though like I'm from here and I know so much about the city and I care so much about it. I felt kind of out of touch. And I think that being able to work with the Eli Sabin campaign and then under Alex, like it really gave me an opportunity and forced me to, you know, we're hosting an event and we're going to talk to constituents. And that kind of like allowed, like grounded me, I think. And I think that's something I experienced on this campaign as well to just be able to like talk to New Haveners and talk uh, to collaborate with others, other people who are making change in the city and just kind of go back to my roots in that sense. Uh, so I think that was like the main thing that drew me uh, to being Alder is it's kind of a way to kind of force in the calendar, like touching back with your community and seeing how you can uplift the community uh, that, you know, when I was little, definitely and still uplifts me. And I loved following, you know, Caroline's campaign. She's great on social media. And I yeah. have fun, like, I don't try not so much time on social media, but I love every day she's somewhere in the community with mm -hmm. someone who's, like, planted a garden, opened a restaurant, spent Saturday, you know, f cleaning the sidewalk, you know, and that, you get a real up. I remember yeah. for Yale yeah. students, when you get involved in New Haven, it sort of is their joy yeah. when you leave the bubble and you get just with people who are in a nice community, making right. it better. What I wanted to ask you, you folks, a moment from each of your campaigns mm -hmm. when you're out in the community, Tell me about a moment that sticks mm. in your mind while you're campaigning mm. that might inform something you might do as an alder. Was there a day you'll never forget on the campaign trail? <laughs> it, um, there was many, but mm. the, the one that stands out to me the most was actually when I walked with Caroline and her campaign. Oh. Um, it just shows how long I've been around. Uh, we ran into uh, a gentleman named Dale who stands in at about six foot seven, six foot six, six, mm. seven, maybe, you know, mm. big guy. He's a big guy. And we get into a conversation and Caroline asks him, well, how do you know Frank? Frank, he says, <laughs> Frank was my security guard in second grade at Columbus School. Caroline looked at him and said, well, how old are you? And he said, 39. And looked at me and said, how old are you? And I said, 48. <laughs> and we did the math. And I was his security guard when he was in second grade. So um, it just, that's a reason why this means so much to me. Because I have so many deep-rooted connections in Fairhaven. People know me. They know my work. They depend on me. And now they've put their trust in me that I'm going to be the same driven, dedicated, outspoken person that I've been my whole career. Any thoughts from you, Carol? I mean, you have so many. I mean, every day is yeah. a memory on you. <laughs> but what, what's the moment that really said, oh, this is what like, the older thing is? Yeah. No, I really, I'm, I'm, I'm really grateful for what you said. And I think really similar to Kiana, I didn't have an opponent, but I think both of us really tried to run a campaign that we felt like voters deserved. Um, and 
And so it was really exciting to run just a myriad of different kinds of events. One thing that was really special to me was working with different neighbors to host backyard parties. Yeah. One, I just got to see a lot of fascinating backyards um, throughout the city, (laughs) throughout the ward. Um, But basically a a neighbor would would open up their backyard, um, purchase food and invite neighbors to have a conversation about, you know, what are the challenges that we're seeing in the ward and in the city and then what are our visions. And one memory that really sticks out is a, a backyard party. It was actually the last one. It was hosted by Charlie Nixon, who mm. grew up in New Haven. He grew up in the Hill neighborhood. He, he remembers when the highways were built. Um, he's, he's one of those guys that every single time I talk to him, I have this little notebook where I write down little lessons. And every single time I talk to him, I write one down. Um, and I just, I loved the backyard party because it just took the shape of 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 his personality the personality of his neighbors and friends it was a huge you know he bought you know so many things for a barbecue we talked about music we talked about um we talked about everyone's stories of either growing up here or coming here and choosing to stay it was a range of different people from people who've you know 60 plus years old to people who had just come here a month ago um who were you know 21 22 years old and i think that was I think that was really special to me, and I think tying back to your question about sort of how does that reflect, you know, into the into you know becoming older, I think that that piece around community connection and around building neighborhoods where neighbors know each other, trust each other, um, uh, and that's connected to things like how do we invest in neighborhood corridors, how do we invest in walkable streets, how do we invest in making sure that our neighborhoods are affordable. All of that idea of how do we build communities that are really connected to each other stem to so many different policies that relate back to that. Interesting. And then how about you, Ken? Uh, any moment on the campaign trail for you? Probably. And by the way, Carl G says, God bless you, Frank. You definitely <laughs> got fans listening. So. <laughs> uh, Monroe Street, Carl. My, um, what sticks out to me was probably the last day <laughs> on election day because it was definitely the most intense for me, like, showing up in front of the library at <laughs> six in the morning and it was pouring rain and I was like, how am I going to put my table out? Um, so it was kind of like <clears throat> the anxiety at the beginning of like, oops, I said I was going to be here rain or shine and it's raining. So I still have to be here. Um, so it was kind of like a, a, a big like campaign moment. Like, oh, this is what election day looks like. Um, and yeah, it was just an amazing way to really uh, meet people outside of um the Yale sphere in Ward 1. So I met a lot of people from the residential buildings and, you know, we got to talk a lot about a certain policy ideas that uh, people had or were interested in hearing my opinion about, um, such as like affordable housing. And then also being in front of the library, uh, it was so cool. A lot of the staff from the library like came down and said like, oh, um, our, our boss like sent us an email that you were here and we just like wanted to introduce ourselves and like talk about the library. And, it, you know, I think that in high school, the library was a great place for me and my friends because it was somewhere that you could be that was free and like, you didn't have to buy anything to be there. And you talk about main branch or Fairhaven, uh, the main branch. Um, and uh, yeah, we remember like when the little cafe was there. So we've talked we talked a lot about, um, you know, like that open space and, you know, the potential for it, the way the library system is set up now and like the potential. Uh, they no to kind longer of, have the cafe there? They, they no longer have the cafe. <coughs> I think uh, they were telling me that they had like two two companies or kind of, yeah, uh, yeah, businesses that tried to base their Concord operations there. Yeah. yeah, but it, it didn't end up working out. So that's kind of like up in the air of like what that space can be used for now. So it was really exciting to just, um, I don't know. I felt like 
that day being able to meet with so many people kind of felt like somewhere I could start, like looking at the library that's in the ward and uh, seeing what we can kind of do with that and see how uh, we can best serve the community with the library. And you're listening to three new voices on the board of Alders. Not new voices in New Haven by any stretch of imagination, but three community actors who decided that becoming an Alder was one way to help bridge and build communities in New Haven to make it a better city. Caroline Smith, Keanu Flores, and Frank Redetti at Dateline New Haven on WNHH FM. Who are your political role models? Who, if you think about someone who, because politics, you know, you always said, I've talked to people who are idealistic and saying, I'm a little worried if I get involved in politics, we'll have to sell out. You know, mm-hmm. compromise can be a very good thing. You know, compromise can be great when you have a goal of what you want to achieve and, and you have to like deal with people who don't agree with you, who represent other people and, and not get everything you want and vote for a, a complicated bill that has something you don't love, but it gets it over the line. Mm-hmm. And then other people obviously sell out because they want to get ahead and they equate their own advancement with, you know, they fall into that trap of equating their own advancement at any cost to what helps people. Who are your models who've done politics right? Any thoughts? Jump in whoever wants to. I'm happy to jump in. Um, so my <clears throat> political role model, one of my heroes is uh, the, the Boston mayor, uh, Mayor Michelle Wu. Um, I, for so many different reasons. Um, one is that she was a really ex- an example, to your point, Paul, of someone who was so clear about her values. She has a very strong spine. She's willing to compromise, willing to negotiate, but she's very clear about who she is. And it's very clear in the way that she leads that she's not going to adjust that spine. She's not going to adjust those values. And I think that was a real model for me. Obviously, also as an Asian American woman, seeing, I remember going to Boston and peeking inside Boston City Hall, which is such an epic building, and seeing her picture there. And it made me emotional. Uh, it made me emotional to, to see this incredibly intelligent, um, values-aligned woman who's Asian-American be the mayor of one of the major cities. Um, she's absolutely a role model. And how's she doing in your view? I think she's doing great. And she wanted to do free buses. How's that working out? I think I think more people are using the bus. I, I think the thing that admires me the most... Um, what I, one, she has one very city. similar issues to yours. Yeah, that's right. And I think that she also um, really... You know, I listened to her State of the City address... And six, almost 40 to 50% of the state of city address was specifically acknowledging people on her staff. Mm. I think she really cares about staff morale. And I think that's why so many people have been attracted to work for the city as a result. And I think that's, uh, which obviously then has a relationship with, with you know, high quality city services as well. Um, and so I really appreciate the way that she's built a team. I remember it just, it just struck me when she was running. I happened to be at a Chinatown of Boston at a vegan restaurant and her picture was up in the window and it made yeah. me think that whole story of America, how groups are proud when they're one mark of their ascension in society or in a city is when people start getting elected. She's the first Asian American yeah. mayor. Is that part of what it is for you? Or? Definitely. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that, um, yeah, I think that representation isn't everything, but I think that representation allows you to imagine things for yourself and you know seeing her as a city council person that helped me imagine <clears throat> hey that's that's a role that that's a role that i could be in as well wow anybody else gonna be a little bit tough to top than any other <laughs> yeah that was, that was pretty good um <laughs> you don't have to do as well by the way it's not competition everybody gets an a <laughs> no um i think um when i just think locally of like the people i've worked with um i think definitely uh people like eli and sarah sarah miller definitely come to mind just because i think that they are really great examples of like people who are really in tune with the community Mm. and who are constantly reaching out. And then of course, like 
I guess, biased because I took a class with him, but I always do think about uh, John Stefano and his mayorship, even though I wasn't like fully conscious when he was, you know, <laughs> when he ran for those 20 years. Um, but just being able to see like, and I think it, it really does come down to all of the immigration reforms that happen and just seeing like how much, uh, how he allowed the community to lead him on those uh, different efforts. And we talked a lot about in the class, like how it really was a grassroots effort. Um, and, you know, there were attempts to do that in other capacities as well, but um, the support in the community behind uh, these policies uh, for making New Haven a sanctuary city were just so strong and powerful. And um, I think that a lot of people in New Haven, especially in Fairhaven, still remember like um, his time as mayor because mm. during. Did he tell you about when the um, federal government was mad at him about this and they raided Fairhaven and yeah, yeah. shut down the neighborhood? Yeah, and we, he we stood talked up a lot with Kika Matos and said, "Yes, he did. We're not going to back down." Yes, he did. And yeah. yeah, it was a pretty strong moment. He was fired up for mm. that whole. He and felt he, it deeply. And yeah. I, like people definitely remember that and re remember that about him. Like uh, as a part of this class, we actually like, go to Fairhaven and we take like a Yale shuttle um, to different spots in Fairhaven. And we Yale were, shuttle we, goes to Fairhaven. Um, for this, it's like a special field trip. Oh, so like we like charter one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and we were like walking up into into Junta, and like a lady just like walks by, and she's like, "You're De Stefano, right?" And like it's just like crazy, like how much. Yeah, like he, he's had an impact on so many people, um, especially in the Fairhaven area. And I said, those are good. And, said, and in terms of Miller and Sabin, what was it that impressed you most about seeing them as a model? Yeah, I think for like working under Eli Sabin for the um, in, for his election to Ward Seven, I think it was just really insane to see like how organized he is and like how much he he's like always trying to uh, reach out to the community, like. He's very punctual about his newsletters, making sure that people are like aware of what's happening on the board. That's how I pretty much stay informed about like what's happening on the board. Um, and then also just like how much he cares about, you know, really making innovative policy. Um, so I really admire that about him. And then also just Sarah Miller being someone that I've been connected with since high school through like climate activism and then also like New Haven Rising. Um, it's just really inspiring to see like Fairhaven getting the representation it needs. Like, um, I think it's really helpful that um, she's very involved in the Hispanic community in, in Fairhaven and that she's done, she's been doing a lot in terms of uh, the Grand Avenue area. And, you know, um, I think that it's just really inspiring. And Frank, you had a little time here. Yeah, I mean, so uh, my list is extensive just because I'm, I'm blessed to be from Fairhaven. We've had so many quality leaders um, grow up in and around Fairhaven. You know, the Al Pillillos, the Martin Loonies, the Juan Candelarias, uh, Joey Rodriguez. I mean, I could go on. Um, but tell me somebody who you see as this is someone who does politics in a way that so I So the decision for me to run for Alder Paul was I was inspired by others to lead. People like Caroline Smith and Sarah Miller. Um, I met them initially when I first started working with CT CTVIP and started canvassing, um, both on my own for v VIP and with Clifford Beers around community violence. And I just watched them work, and they inspired me to want to do the same. You know, um, Is there somebody on the world stage or in history or in the country right now who either of you looks at and says that's a way to do politics, to make change in a positive way working within the system? Uh, my my worldview is really small right now. Um, <laughs> not that I don't pay attention, but just that I'm hyper focused on Fairhaven right now. Um, that's I what really it's called. I mean, older. and then there are also citywide issues. I want to ask you folks: schools. What, you know, we have a new school superintendent. We've revamped how we do reading, which actually your two mm -hmm. models had a lot to do with. 
What, what next with the schools? What do we need to do now with education? There are sort of issues that I think are not at all endemic to New Haven. Since the pandemic, yeah. the social-emotional yeah. freak out, the loss of learning, the kind of social media, I do think has become a real problem yeah. for teenagers' yeah. lives. The latest revelation mm -hmm. about um, Instagram, where they actually studied all these 13-year-olds and were aware of the vulnerabilities they could exploit for profit. Any thoughts among any of what you'd like to see happen with the schools? Well, f first off, I think we're in the right direction with hiring Dr. Negron. Uh, she was um, <clears throat> one of, if not the main reason, I decided to send my son to career high school. I mean, she was an amazing administrator. So I think we're in the right direction there. Um, but um, I think it's a team approach where we get a lot of different people to the table, hear different people opinions, people's opinions. Um, again, I'm that team team approach person. You know, I want to yeah. hear everybody's opinion, and I, you know, I'm of the mind that you have to have balance in everything. You know, you can't just yell and scream and force your way. You have to find common ground with everybody, and um, not everybody works for everybody. Not everything works for everybody, but I think there's enough room for everybody at the table. But really fascinating me. I, I think that a lot when we write about New Haven. I always enjoy having when you have a policy that you got from a classroom or an article about how you think something should work, and then the rubber hits the road when you meet people in the community, how it doesn't work for everybody. I'm thinking about parking minimums. So I assume, I don't know if this isn't fair, that a bunch of us really like the idea of not requiring so many cars when you build something, right? Like when we build some new place people live, not everyone's going to have a car anymore. You want them to be able to walk. There's less pollution for the climate. The cities are, streets are more walkable. But then when you try to make new rules like we've been trying to do right now and changing our zoning code, they walk into the hill where the streets are so crowded together and there is no place to park and people need cars to go to work. And when we want more density to build housing closer together as part of that kind of new urbanist vision and, and more affordable housing that ran up against, well, we can hear exactly what's happening in the house next door and we want a little space and we don't want your rules for how close things can be together, how little parking you need. Any thoughts about that when you think about the rezoning of the city, how to accomplish these larger goals? Yeah. You I, talked about commercial yeah, corridors, so yeah, it's obviously on your plate. Definitely. Yeah. I think that I think there's a lot of room for us to think about whether our zoning code right now reflects the needs and the goals of the city. I think there's a lot of interesting interesting work that can happen there. Like one very clear example, it's a little different <clears> than what you're talking about, but is our licensing and permit process for businesses, for example. You know, I as you know, walked up and down Upper State Street. I think also, you know, in, in running Collab, um, experiencing a lot of the barriers and challenges that entrepreneurs face. Um, and something that I think is really worthwhile is how do we streamline our licensing and permitting process so that it's more equitable to be able to start a business here. And That's so how, one, does, how does that work? Like certain rules you really need because you want the public to be safe right, exactly. and you want to be honest, but also yep. some of them are archaic and they're no longer relevant. It, what have you found specifically in that process? Yeah. So I think first and foremost, it's about just understanding what the rules are. So, for example, East Rock Breads is a bakery that's trying to start on Upper State Street in the ward. And it's taken him over a year to be able to start in something that he articulated that he really desired was like, can I just, I, he wanted to have a checklist. You know, what, what is the process? So I think that's first and foremost. So, let's so just what really needs understand. to be on there, like building code, yep. uh, kitchen mm -hmm. permits, health kitchen code? Permits. I also think, in, you know, creating incentives for some of the things that are, I think, really beneficial for a community, things like outdoor seating, things like, you know, being able to utilize backyard patios um, so that it's just more, you know, creates, helps So you want it to be easier for that. And they have been working it's, on that. Exactly. Including but like climate change, which is warmer right. over the winter. Yep. Coffee can keep their patio, you know. That's right. That's right. And that's just an example to your broader question around, okay, does does our zoning currently reflect the needs of the city? Small businesses is one example. Of I'm interested where we, now is what, what, what else can be streamlined, you think, besides making it easy to use outdoor patios and um, 
giving people checklists mm-hmm. so they know it won't take more than a year of everything they have to do, which is really good yeah. ideas. Yeah. What else? Is there any rules that are outdated or any extra expenses that aren't needed? You mean specifically as it relates to businesses or more broadly? Small business, yeah. There's yeah, business. I think, well, maybe this is slightly different, but I think generally, I think I've been really inspired. I mean, there was just a... Uh, there was just a press conference about a grander Grand Avenue, yeah. which was really, which was both about, you know, thinking about um, how our cur- you know city is currently set up to support small businesses, but it's also about investment in neighborhood corridors. And that was a significant multi-million dollar investment that's going to be made into Grand Avenue. Right. And I'd love to see something similar for um, for other business corridors. And as what well. kind of investments? Public s- space improvements mm-hmm. or loans to work on your business? Or? I think it's a, I think it's a myriad of different things. I think it might depend on the needs of the businesses and the needs of that neighborhood. It might be things like how do we make it easier to fill empty storefronts? How do we make it mm. easier in the meantime of you know where we do have empty storefronts for local you know local vendors and artists to be able to activate those empty storefronts? I think about Tiffany, who started Crafters of Color, who's been creating these vendor fairs. She uh, created one right next to 360 State Street, utilizing that one plot. How do we make it easier in the and city? And it is interesting for, how to rethink yep. what a business is, mm-hmm. right? Because of patterns yep. uh, change. So all over the mm-hmm. country, commercial real estate is tanking. People aren't going to the office as much. They're telecommuting. Mm-hmm. Uh, what the city's trying to figure out what to do with old office buildings and rezoning mm-hmm. those. Any thoughts about properties in New Haven that need to be rethought? I mean, even a generation ago, we rethought 900 Chapel and turned most of that to housing. Mm-hmm. Any thoughts on that? I mean, I I don't have any specific uh, like policy ideas specifically to that, but um, I think that something that I've been hearing a lot uh, in the Ward One area, especially since uh, housing and homelessness is such a pressing issue there mm. because it's so visible, and um, I think that's because yeah, a, a lot of people that was on front of mind when uh, they were kind of approaching me and talking about like what I about affordable housing and um i think that you know the like a lot of other issues like we talk a lot about in climate change like generally that uh the certain approach that we need to have is kind of just like throw everything onto the wall and see what sticks and of course that's not like how you should approach everything because there is like a budget and there is like a timeline uh but that's kind of how we do it at our shop actually (laughs) (laughs) and and i think that that's like a, a similar way to approach uh what has become such an all-encompassing issue on affordable housing uh, because Mm. it's so complex and nuanced and you know we've seen a lot of innovation in the city with um for example like the tiny houses being a a different what do you think about what's happening on rosette street and should there be as much regulation should they because they're worried remember the um the uh the old the artist place in the old factory right near there in the hill Mm. where um all these artists were living and some person who ran the underground factory wasn't meeting any building calls to no fire exits mm-hmm. and the city shut it down. And a few weeks later, the ghost ship, it similar facility in Oakland, all these people died because they're doing the same kind of like parties there. And they said, that's why you need that regulation. But then on Rosette street, they're saying, you know, they're saying we also want this to be safe when you have people living. They're not really tiny houses. They're kind of like uh, small structures. Yeah. And they're saying, you know, there are too many rules here. In fact, we do have it safe for electricity. What's your read on the whole thing? I think going off of what Caroline was saying is that, of course, there's a balance like there are codes for a reason and things need to be built in a safe way to make sure people living there um, are able to live safely. But I do think that that is perhaps one of the things that could be better streamlined by the city, because I think that in the conversations I've had about housing, like the the urgency of getting people housed, especially as it's getting colder um, and, you know, having people out on the streets when it's freezing is should not happen and um i think that the tiny houses are really great in that they can be put up really quickly and immediately used and so i think that has been like a source of innovation and hope for a lot of people in the city of like 
housing, which is felt like an issue that is um, almost too big to tackle. And so I think that that is like the innovation that should be spurred on in the city. And perhaps there is a way for the city to maybe not necessarily like lighten up on the codes, but allow there for to there to be a streamlined process uh, in order to, uh, you know, lighten up or make it easier to build more housing, uh, especially when it is so. No, it's just to me the homeless settlements that Nora Grace Flood's been writing about, you know, the tent cities and stuff. How many people come from other communities that don't let them stay there? There's one person we interviewed, you know, was a camping out in Brantford. No, you're on the boot. You're coming to New Haven, somebody else in Waterbury. Quite a few. Uh, yeah, what do you think about that? It's the same thing with our um, drug-addicted population. Uh, we we see a lot of it, especially in Fairhaven. Um, don't, a lot of them aren't from the area. Um, I really can't tell you the reason why. Um, I def- definitely think we need to start thinking outside the box, like both these young ladies said, um, as far as housing. I also think we need to have a, a, more of a focus on landlord accountability. I wasn't going to ask you about that. What would you do about the mega landlords, the ocean landlords who aren't keeping up their properties? Um, you know, I again, as a lifelong Fairhavener, I see a lot of the changes in these streets directly affected uh, by the lack of owner-occupied homes. And I feel like as someone who's actively looking for another home in Ward 15, and I've been rebuffed numerous times by over uh being overbid by or outbid by investors um right that's one we problem. need to they, we need they, to look at somehow cash. creating some kind of an incentive for new haven residents to have first crack at some of these homes before they're offered to the mega landlords maybe yeah. like a 90-day window where they're only available I know, so to, thinking, you know you talk about when, when john stefano was mayor so he was mayor the 90s when bill clinton was president right and he had named Henry Cisneros as the head of HUD, Housing Urban Development. And they said the big thing is we're going to make everyone homeowners in cities. Yeah. So they put a lot of money into it. We had the Liverpool City Initiatives actually started as freeing up property, help people become homeowners. And they did everything we could. I remember Stefano saying, there are people, like Frank's mentioning, who you can really help a bunch of people become homeowners. But there's a limit. So they did everything they could, all the money, all the efforts, all the outreach. And we went, these aren't the exact numbers, but it's in the ballpark. I think we went from 33 to 37% of our city being homeowners. And then after that point, it actually didn't make sense for other people to be homeowners. Like, you don't want the mega landlord as a slumlord there. You want to keep after them to come up with the code. But his conclusion from that was that, yes, he totally agreed with you guys that you have to have good policy to help people who it makes sense to become homeowners become homeowners. But for a variety of reasons, Homeowning doesn't make sense for a lot of people. We are going to be a majority renter city. Mm-hmm. And that, that's always just been interesting well, to in, me. In, in that case, then you have to be Hard extra, extra tough on these landlords because that was one of the number one things that we heard in our campaign in 15. Um, I, I, I think about the lady who works in my school cafeteria who lived in her house on Pine Street for 30 years, was purchased by one of the mega landlords, and she was told she had to be out by October. That was it. You know, so um, it's fair ca- rent commission has been strengthened. Mm-hmm. Fair, she has it's been in touch really with fair rent stuff. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And part one thing mm-hmm. you do is an alders, you put people in touch with that. Yeah. How about um, safe injection sites? That's been controversial. Fairhaven and other cities have started experimenting with the idea that if people are using opiates, especially opioids, and they're overdosing, if you have a place that's not right on the street where they can gather, so you're not bothering neighbors, and where they can more safely, even though it's not a safe process. Um, shoot up and then they can um, have their help in cases at OD and if they want drug treatment it's available there in the mayor campaign that discussion got a little bit sidelined by a candidate who got people scared about it and there are people in Fairhaven just uh, business owners say that that's crazy to me then you have all these junkies coming and other people say 
you have people struggling with drug addiction, they're going to be here anyway. They could either do it in a more safe way and get help or not. What's your take on it, Frank? Again, I go to balance. All right. You can't be one too far one way or the other. Um, I, I agree that there's a need for it. it you know, um, it shouldn't be in residential areas. You know, it should be properly staffed by, you know, medical and mental health providers. Have you ever thought should, about a good location? The thought was on Grand. Uh, I believe it's Grand and Haven, if yeah. I'm not mistaken, which is in proximity to Fairhaven Clinic, which makes sense, you know, so they'll have quality providers mm -hmm. there. Um, but again, with the balance, there also needs to be an accountability on the streets. You know, um, as somebody who struggled with addiction in my late teens and early 20s before becoming a single father, I'm very sympathetic. I have family members who struggle with opiate addiction. Um, I don't want to see it criminalized, but in the same breath, I have respect for those families who don't want to look out their living room window to see someone laying on their sidewalk with a needle sticking out of their arm. So there, again, there has to be balance. If we're going to spend X amount of millions of dollars of taxpayers' money on safe injection sites, we have to show that same respect to those people living in those communities that are plagued by it right now. Um, so it's a tough conversation. It is you know, there's no easy it answer. It takes Addiction's a lot of compassion. And again, it takes everybody at the table with the same view. And, and it's finding common ground. That should be everybody's goal. How do I find common ground? It's how I deal with my kids in the school. I'll get a call from a teacher or from the office saying a teacher needs me. I, I get up to the classroom. I don't ignore what the teacher's telling me that happened because nine times out of, nine times out of ten, that's what happened. I want to hear what the kid had to say first because I still have to find common ground between the two, the child and the student. You know, I look at everything the same way. You might be describing the board all the Sorry. So, uh, <laughs> Caroline and Kiana, what, what do you, you think about it. safe injection sites? Yeah, I think there's <laughs> a relationship between the conversation we're about, about housing and about mm -hmm. the challenges that we're facing um, with addiction in our community. I think, you know, I look to a city like Houston um, so Houston well, that was just featured this weekend in the New York Times. Exactly, yeah. exactly right. Um, yeah, definitely worth a read. Basically, since mm -hmm. 2011, they reduced their um, um, their their people experiencing homelessness um, by 60 percent. Um, and they named three different reasons why. One, and some of the some of the things these things are already happening in New Haven, which is exciting. So one was bringing a coalition of providers together to really work. In yeah, the I was looking at that. Said, but we well, have that. Was it two one one? What's the number? Yeah, that's talking? right. That's right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I was I'm thinking, well, the, we did that ten years ago. It, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So, and I think what was interesting too is it was coordinated access between nonprofits and also city agencies, which I think was really interesting. Um, and yes, we're, I'm on the board of Liberty Community Services and the United Way, and so I watch the ways in which these organizations really collaborate a lot together, and I think that's exciting. And then two. They made it, and this goes back to the conversation around zoning, they made it easier to build housing, easier, cheaper, and more effective to be able to build housing. Um, and then three, and this is where it's connected to the conversation we're having about addiction, I think they really implemented a housing first model um, that they said, okay, you know, we're, you know, individuals are going to come to us with a myriad of different challenges that they face. Let's make sure that they have a roof over their head, and that's the, one of the best ways to stabilize them, um, such that they have, can be on the path to be able to having a more stable life. And so I think there's a relationship between these two conversations we're having. You ever say no when ask somebody asks you to be on a board? Like, is it physically possible to be on the board? You get invited <laughs> to be on? Yeah, I always think about, you know, am I, am I going to be of use? I mean, in general, in my life, I think about that. And then specifically as it relates to organizations, will I be of use and valuable? Well, I have no doubt that all three of you will be of use and very <laughs> valuable on your new mission as uh, alders in the city of New Haven. I always admire people willing to put in all those hours because you're not really paid. I mean, that's a, that's a stipend. So, uh, so good work, folks, getting started. We're going to bring you back. Ask how it went. <laughs> 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 <laughs>
Caroline Smith Award 9, Keanu Flores Award 1, Frank Redente Award 15, all with the connection to Fairhaven. Uh, newly elected board of good luck. Thank, thank you, Paul. Thank, and thank thanks you, so Paul. much for joining us on Dateline New Haven. Thanks to Harry Dross behind the controls. We're going to take a break for about 15 minutes. And we're going to be back with Reverend Benita Grubbs, who has an announcement for us at the second hour of Dateline New Haven. In the meantime, we're going to listen to the Afro-Semitic experience performing I Wish I Knew How It Would Feel to Be Free from their CD, A Plea for Peace. This is Paul Bass inviting you to fly free with us at WNHH, New Haven's home for community radio.